We're going to look at the last three verses as we finish this study up tonight. Notice what the Bible says. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls yet. Let me give you a translation of that word yet. Nevertheless. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like hinds feet. And he will make me to walk upon my hind places. To the chief singer on my string instruments. Father, would you please use this text. And our life, as you, through your Holy Spirit, gives revelation to the magnitude and to the power that's contained within these verses. And Father, I'll thank you and I'll praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you remember this morning, we looked and we saw that Habakkuk began to finish his song. And as Habakkuk sung that song and those stanzas that involved in that song, he began to sing out of the revelation that God had gave him about himself. And you remember this morning, Habakkuk sung about God's works, but then Habakkuk sung about God's person. And we saw that God is a mighty God. And we saw God is mighty over nature, and God is mighty over the nations. And God can use anything that he chooses to bring about his perfect and divine plan and will. And then we saw in verse 16 that Habakkuk literally just takes a step back. And he confesses when he first heard what God was going to do. He confessed how it affected him. He said, I trembled. My lips quivered. It was like my bones were ate up, rotten to the core. He said, it was like it brought death to me. He said, but, yet. He said, I'm going to wait. And I'm going to look. And I'm going to anticipate what God is going to do. Habakkuk said, yes, when I first heard, it shook me to the core. I didn't understand it. But when God began to reveal himself to me, not only do I now understand it, but welcome it. You remember what Habakkuk said earlier in chapter 3? He said, let it be in my time that God you do this work. And so Habakkuk is now in a place where he is waiting and watching for God to do the work that God said he would do. And Habakkuk is more than willing to accept what God has said he would do. Now, when you get to verse 17, boy, I'll tell you, you talk about ending in a climax. Verse 17, 18, and 19 it is one of the, some of the most powerful verses you're going to find. Because when Habakkuk now begins to state these verses, he states them in a way that literally 
lifts the idea of walking in the joy of the Lord to a level that I'm afraid many of us may not even know. And so I want you to look at this with me tonight. The first thing we're going to see is the reality of the chastening of God. Habakkuk in no way tried to minimize or tried to change what God had said. Matter of fact, Habakkuk not only did not want to minimize it, but he understood fully now what God was saying. And he understood that when God allowed these Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to come and to bring Judah out of the land, that it was going to be far more costly than just bringing them out of the land. Everything Judah had worked for would now become nothing. Look what he says here in this passage. And we see a couple of things. We see the removal in God's correction. So in other words, is he saw the reality of this chastisement that God was going to bring. He understood that God was going to do a work of removal. And you say, what do you mean? Well, look what he says. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit in the vine, and the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Literally what Habakkuk said was, when Babylon gets done, we'll have nothing Nothing left for our physical needs. How many agree you need food? How many agree you need crops? You need, you need herds. You need cattle. You have to have all those things to, to, to survive physically. And literally what he's saying, God, when you allow Babylon to finish the work they're going to do, we'll have nothing left to provide for us phys physically. Now, here's what I'm trying to tell you. What I'm trying to tell you is this, that Habakkuk understood the magnitude of what God was about to do. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? You have to understand the mindset of Israel in the Old Testament. The mindset of Israel in the Old Testament was the fruitfulness of the ground and the cattle in which they had was simply this, the basis of their joy and the basis of whether God had his favor upon the nation. In other words, Israel saw that when their crops were prosperous, God was blessing them, and God had his favor upon them. And literally what Habakkuk saw and said was simply this, God, you're going to remove everything from Judah. And they're going to see it as if you've literally removed your very blessing from their life. The very thing that causes them to have joy. You say, how do you know it speaks of joy? Because Israel would celebrate the crops when they would come in. It would be the feast of, of harvest and the feast of the tabernacles and the, the wave offering and the sheaf offering. And all those things would take place. And Israel would celebrate, praise God, yes, but they would celebrate. Look at the favor God's put upon our life. And Habakkuk said, when you get done with us, we're not going to have anything. You see, Habakkuk understood the reality of what God was about to do. And Habakkuk understood that the reality of what God was about to do was literally remove everything from Judah that in their minds would be the source of their joy and their contentment. Now, folks, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. When God's people 
get comfortable. God will jerk the rug out from under you. When God's people get apathetic, God will do a trimming in your life. And many times to a place where you have nowhere else to look but him. Now we look at that and we say, well, wait a minute, that's not the God I serve. Well, I got news for you. That is the only God. That is the God of the Bible. And you say, why would he do that? He loves you that much. He would love us that much that he would do that kind of work in us. Whereby we are drawn back to him in repentance. Then he would to let us continue on in the comfort of our lifestyles and walk in rebellion against his perfect will. That's the God of the Bible. And you say, well, this is Old Testament. This don't apply to the New Testament believer. You better read the book of Hebrews. The Bible says he chastens every child of his. And whom he does not chasten are bastards and not sons. In other words, are illegitimate, do not belong to him. In other words, if you're saved today and you're walking contrary to the will and ways of God in your life and God is not chastening you, you better check up. Because God loves his children enough to do this kind of work. And Habakkuk has accepted this and Habakkuk has received this and he understood the reality of what God was going to do. Now, notice the second thing. Not only the removal in God's correction, but notice the reason for God's correction. What if I told you this shouldn't have caught Judah by surprise at all? What if I told you this shouldn't have caught Habakkuk by surprise at all? And you say, well, preacher, why is that? Because God told him what he was going to do long ago. You, you say, well, preacher, where's that found in the Bible? Well, I'm glad y'all asked. Y'all asked some good questions. You know that? Say amen. Look at Leviticus chapter 26, verse 3 through verse 5. I put a condition upon their fruitfulness of the ground. And God put a condition on it. He says in verse 3, If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season, and land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and your threshing shall reach un, un, up unto the vintage, and the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time, and you shall eat your bread to be full and dwell in the land safely. But notice all that is paraphrased with the word if. If you keep his commandments. So what was the reason for God's chastening? Well, Judah had turned to idolatry. Judah had turned their back on God. Judah was no longer walking in the, the ways of God or the commandments of God or not even trying to keep the commandments of God. Now listen to me. I want you to hear this because I want to bring this over on this side of Pentecost. Because a lot of people say, and a lot of people teach error in America that says if you walk in obedience, God will give you whatever you desire. I got news for you, that's a lie. But let me tell you what it will cost you if you don't walk in obedience. It'll cost you from walking in the fruitfulness of the life of the Lord Jesus that is in you. You can grieve and quench the Holy Spirit of God. It's not that God necessarily, even though he can and even though he might, it's not that God necessarily will, will 
attack or chasing you in your physical provisions, even though he can and even though he does. But I want to tell you, every single time when a child of God don't walk in the things of God, here's the reality. They grieve and quench the Holy Spirit, and they don't get to walk in the provisions that God has for them through the life of the Lord Jesus. And this, this is what Habakkuk knew to be reality about what was going to happen. Now, with all that being said, when you put verse 17 with verse 18 and 19, my, oh, my. Now you say, well, preacher, are you there yet? I have no idea unless it happened. But I'll tell you this. For Habakkuk to be able to say what he's about to say without the indwelling Holy Spirit is just mind-blowing to me. You say, what do you mean? He's, now look, verse 17, although... Even though this is going to be reality, yet, nevertheless, I will rejoice in the Lord. So what we see, the reality of the chastening of God and then the rejoicing in the chastening of God. Now, so what is the magnitude of which Habakkuk is saying this? Understand a few things. The environment of his joy. In other words, Habakkuk's saying, listen, nevertheless, even though all this is reality, nothing's going to stop God's will here. Nothing's going to stop what God's going to do to Judah. Nothing's going to stop what he allows the Babylonians to do to the land. All that's reality. All that's going to happen. He said, nevertheless, in that environment, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I mean, to think that God takes away everything from you that you would deem to be the blessing of God using the Jewish mindset. And yet at the same time, you could still say, yet I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. Can I ask us a question tonight? How are we doing? I mean, this is what Habakkuk is saying. Now, understand this. When we look at this phrase, okay, we're looking at it from this understanding. How could Habakkuk say this in light of what he said in verse 17? Because he came to a place when God revealed himself. He came to a place of understanding that God was greater than any of his physical needs. And therefore, Habakkuk came to the place of being willing, in God's perfect will, to relinquish everything as long as he knew God was going to accomplish his perfect will. For that to be true in your life and my life, you have to come to a place of being available to him in every single aspect of your life. But folks, listen to me. You don't have to ask God to give you this kind of joy. If you're already saved, you already have it. Jesus said this way, my joy 
I give unto them. So you're saying, well, preacher, boy, it'll take me years to get that kind of joy. I got news for you. If you're saved today, you already got it. But the question is, are you walking in what you have? Isn't it amazing that the life of the Lord Jesus in you can produce through you a joy that overshadows and circumvents any circumstance in your life? Is that not amazing? That's the joy of the Lord. And this was the environment through which Habakkuk said, yet, although, I will rejoice in the Lord. Now, let me show you a couple things. Jesus walked in this. And you say, well, how did Jesus walk in this? Well, remember, when Jesus fasted 40 days, 40 nights, after many, many temptations, Satan came at the end of that 40 days. And he was tempted throughout the 40 days. But at the end of the 40 days, there was three specific temptations. And one of them was, turn the rocks into bread. Y'all remember that? You remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. What was Jesus saying? There's something more important than my physical substance. There's something more sufficient, adequate, something that is needed more than my physical substance. You see, when you can rejoice in the Lord, even though everything that you deem to be dear outside of the Lord is taken away, it's when you deem that He and His Word has supremacy over everything else in your life. Now, y'all going to love me? Say amen, including your family. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In some things, give thanks. Is that what it says? I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you. And how many things? Wait a minute. In everything? Yes. To be able to walk in a realm of life that no matter what God allows, no matter what God initiates, no matter what God does, or let me put it to you another way, whatever God doesn't do that you think he ought to do, you can still say, thank you. You say, how in the world can I do that? Because God is God, and he's mighty. And this is where Habakkuk is. Now, notice this. Not only the environment of joy, but the expression of joy. Now, look at this word rejoice here in verse 18. The word rejoice in verse 18 is different than the word joy this stated secondly. Notice what it says. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Two different Hebrew words. The first word, rejoice. Here's what it means. 
It's translated two times as triumphant. It also can be termed this way. Some Bible scholars term it this way, to leap for joy or to be triumphantly joyful. In other words, it's a joy that comes out of your triumph. It's a joy that comes out of your victory. It's a joy that comes out of what God has done in delivering you. And so literally, the expression of Habakkuk's joy here, as he expressed it in this passage, is simply this. He said, yet, God, you're going to take everything that we need physically. You're going to take everything from us that we saw as your blessings. But yet at the same time, I leap for joy because I'm triumphant. And we will be triumphant because God's already told Habakkuk, there's coming a day, I'll deal with Babylon. And Habakkuk said, I can leap for joy. Even though I don't have a crop in the field, even though I don't have a cattle in the stall, even though I don't have anything of, of measurable substance and I'm going to be in captivity with all of Judah, he said, yet I can leap for joy. Why? Because you're God. This is the expression G. Campbell Morgan said it this way. He says, our joy will be in direct proportion to our trust. And our trust will be in direct proportion of the revelation of who God is. Let me say it again. Our joy will be in direct relation to our trust. And our trust will be in direct relation to the revelation of who God is. How you see God is how you're going to walk by faith or not walk by faith. And we live in a day today where people don't have a clue who God is. We live in a day today that people who are saved don't know who God is. Because we've been weaved a doctrine throughout the years that... that that humanizes God and deifies man. And we've been weaved a doctrine today that puts God, doting grandfather up on the throne ready to bless you whenever you ask. I got news for you. God is not a Santa Claus. He's a holy, righteous, mighty God who can do anything he chooses, anywhere he chooses, anytime he chooses. He's sovereign. If he wanted to end our life today, hey, if you're saved, you're more than blessed. This is what Habakkuk understood. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24, 25. All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower grass. The grass withers, the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And in his word, which is by the gospel, is preached unto you. Now I'm going to ask you a question here, okay? Make it real simple. What is your heart clinging to? That if God removed today, would steal your joy. See, that's a question I believe we all need to ask. Because this goes to the heart of what true surrender is. Is there anything in my life that I, my heart is clinging to more than the life of the Lord within me? That if God removed, would crush me. Now you say, well, preacher, we have our humanity. 
we do. And you say, in our humanity, these things are going to affect us. They are. But can I tell you something? You can weep, and you can be troubled in your humanity and still be able to rejoice in the God of heaven. So we see the environment. We see the expression. Then we see the exaltation in his joy. He says, I rejoice in the Lord. The word Lord here is Yahweh, the all-knowing, all-sufficient one. He said, I leap for joy. Now listen to me. Not in something, but in someone. How many of you agree? There was nothing in the realm of circumstance that Habakkuk saw that he could rejoice in the circumstance. But see, that's not what joy is. Joy's not resting in the circumstance. Joy's resting in the person. As a matter of fact, I'll say it this way. Joy is let the person work in you, whereby his joy overrides the circumstance. So what do we find? The environment of his joy, the expression of his joy, the exaltation of his joy. Now here's what a lot of people do. When a lot of people encounter things that bring fear upon their life, they try to manufacture courage. But can I tell you something? That is an exercise in futility. Because you and me in and of ourselves do not have enough courage to overcome fear. But see, Habakkuk understood the only way he could rejoice in Yahweh was it was the Lord that he had to exalt in his heart. It was the Lord he had to exalt. Remember in his confession this morning, he looked outwardly, trembled, and his lip quivered. He looked inwardly and in discouragement and despair. He said, my bones are rotten. And then he looked upwardly. And he says, but now, I'm willing to submissively wait and watch for God you to do what you said you were going to do. Lastly, the evidence of his joy. You say, what do you mean the evidence of his joy? You see, this joy was evidenced in Habakkuk's life. And you say, how is that? The whole tenor of chapter 3, you could sum it up in one word. He worshiped. We already looked last week and this morning. He sung. He worshiped. Can I tell you how you know you're walking in the joy of the Lord that God gave you when he saved you? Is you can worship no matter what's taking place in your life. In other words, 
it's evidence to you. So when something happens in your life, what do the people around you see? What do they hear? Now, as I said, in our humanity, don't get me wrong, some, many things can be very troubling, can bring heartbreak, can bring tears, can bring brokenness. But in the midst of that, do they still find a worshiping heart? Now, I want to tell you something, folks. This, for me, is your preacher takes what it means to walk in the joy of the Lord to a level that I'm just going to be honest with you. Until it happened to us, we wouldn't know, but I wonder if I could really walk in this kind of joy. I know I can because it's given to me. Y'all say amen, but would I? This is the thing. Now, let's look thirdly and lastly this morning, or tonight, the reality of the chastening of God, and then you find here the... Not only the reality, but the rejoicing. And then thirdly, the recognition in the chastening of God. Notice what he says here. I will joy in the God of my salvation in verse 18. The word joy here is a different word, and here's what it means. I will be glad in the God that delivered me. It's translated glad ten times. I will be glad in the God that delivered me. And then in verse 19, why? Because this very God that I'm glad in, he is my strength. Now, here's what's unique, and I've never seen this before. The word strength here does not just mean strong or mighty or to undergird. It doesn't mean that at all. The word strength here is a Hebrew word. And let me give you some translations in which it's used. It's translated 56 times, which is the majority of the times, as army. It's translated 37 times as a man of valor. So what is he saying here? He said, the Lord God is my army. The Lord God is my man of valor. The Lord God is my warrior. The Lord God is my fighter. The Lord God is all I need. Listen, Habakkuk understood. Yes, God's going to allow this to happen, but there was going to come a day when Re Judah would repent, and there was going to come a day when God would say, Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm the mighty in war. I'm the mighty in battle. I'm the one that will deliver. And the one that, I, yes, I let go into captivity. I have made a covenant with them that they would have a land that I would give them, that they would prosper in. And I, who let them go into captivity, I am more than able to bring them out and back into the land. In other words, Habakkuk said, I can rejoice. I can be glad in the Lord God. Why? Because I know. This is just temporary. I have an army on my side that Babylon doesn't have. And oh, Habakkuk in his strength, he understood what his strength was and who it was. But then notice his stability. 
And he will make my feet like hinds' feet. What are hinds? Deer's feet. What's significant about this? What does he mean here? This, by the way, this term is used several times in the Bible. It's used in Psalm 18. It's used several times in the Bible. It's used in Isaiah. But here's the thing. What does this mean? He'll make my feet as hinds' feet. There's two things about deer's feet that's, special, that's referred to in Scripture, or in, at least in the context. Here's what it says. It's talking about the stability of a deer. How many of you agree a deer can walk on some very treacherous territory and stay upright? So in other words, here's what he said. God, you're, you're the man of valor. God, you're my army. God, you're my victory. You're my warrior. And you will make my feet to be able to be stable in the midst of what you let Babylon do to us as a people and to our land. So here's the question. When trials, tribulations hits home, do you get unstable? Or do you find the Lord who is your strength keeps you stable? In other words, do you find yourself collapsing under the circumstance? Or do you find yourself standing with your eyes towards glory by faith and knowing that God your God is mighty and more than sufficient. But not only does Heinz's feet speak of stability, you see his strength, you see his stability, you also see his swiftness. Now you say, what do you mean by that? How many agree, deer are fast? And so the picture here is this, that Habakkuk understands that what God's going to allow to take place in God's economy of time is just going to be swift action. That there's going to come a time when Israel will run through the trial and the tribulation that God brings in the chastening. Now you have to understand this in the realm of how God sees things. Because you've got to understand how God sees things is not how we see things. Now was Israel in captivity for a long period of time? They were. From man's perspective. But in relation to eternity, how many, how many agree? Life is but a vapor. In other words, Habakkuk didn't see this as something that would be an ongoing, continuous, nonstop thing. Habakkuk said, oh God, you're my army. You're the man of valor. You're the one that fights our battles. And even though you, in your perfect will, and in your, and your providential will, and in your pure will, are bringing us to a place of chastisement, which we deserve and which we need, yet at the same time, you're the God that's going to deal with Babylon just as you dealt with Judah. And you're the God that's going to deliver Judah just as you allowed Babylon to take us captive. And God, you're going to make my feet and I'm going to stay stable in the midst of it. But at the same time, I know that swiftly you're going to bring us through it. Well, let me show you a couple other things and I'm done. 
his surety. Now notice the wording here. He uses the wording here, he will. Y'all see that? Make my feet. Y'all see that? Say amen. How many agree that's not doubting? That's not, I hope he will. I mean, he's confident here. He said he will. But notice what else is that? He will make me to walk upon my high places. You say, preacher, what in the world does that mean? The high places, to walk upon the high places is imagery in Scripture of victory. Here's the way it would be in Scripture. When they would go into battle, let's say a battle would be in a valley. And, and as they were in the valley, one army against another, and one army overcomes the other, here's what they would do. They would take their soldiers and they would take their chariots and they would go to the peaks of the valley or the mountaintops of the valley and they would take and they would march around celebrating the victory that's been won. Let me put it to you in a racing term, if you will. They took a victory lap. Are y'all hearing me say amen? Here's what Habakkuk says. He says, God, you're going to take everything away from us, but I'm going to joy in the Lord. I'm going to joy because you're my army. You're my man of valor. You're my strength. You're my everything. And I'm going to rejoice. Why? Because I'm going to know the day. I'm going to be able to know the day that we're going to be able to take a victory lap because you're going to win the battle. Let me ask you a question. Your Christian life, as it's being lived right now, is it lived with your head hung low in defeat? Or is it lived taking a victory lap because Jesus Christ is your victory? He will not be your victory. He is your victory. And so this is what Habakkuk said. Now you say, preacher, I think you're reading into that text. Well, again, y'all ask some good questions. Can you prove it anywhere else? Y'all ask some good questions. Say amen. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 29. Happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O people, Saved by the Lord. How many agree that means delivered? Did God deliver Israel? The shield of thy help. Who is the sword of thy excellency? And thy enemies shall be found liars unto thee. And thou shalt tread up on their high places. I'll deal with the enemy. You enjoy the parade. Boy, isn't it good to know that God fights your battles for you? And you and I, by faith, just to get, get to walk in the glory of the victory and the spoils? Let me ask you a question. When you were lost, did you have an enemy in sin? that you couldn't win the battle over? 
Did God win it for you? Are you enjoying the victory? Are you appropriating the victory? Moment by moment, day by day. So here's what Habakkuk said. Habakkuk said, listen, here's the recognition I have in the chase of the Lord. God's my strength. He'll make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me walk upon high places. I will know victory. And then lastly, his song. To the chief singer of my stringed instruments. I shared this morning that one of the places you can see this lived out is, was Paul and Silas in prison. But can I tell you another one that's even more impactful than that one? How many of you remember the Last Supper? How many of you agree the Lord Jesus knew what was about to take place? How many of you agree the trauma or the heartache of the Lord Jesus had nothing to do with the whippings and the scourgings, but had everything to do that the Lord knew in that moment he became your sin and mine, his fellowship with God would be broken. And, and Jesus had never known one millisecond of that. And that's what caused him to be sorrowful. The Bible says sorrowful, exceedingly sorrowful. Sorrowful unto death. Three terms was used in the Garden of Gethsemane. So much that sweat drops of blood came from his brow. But at the Last Supper, the Lord knew all that. And the Bible says when they left the upper room, They began to sing. Do you think it's accident that Ephesians says that when you're controlled by, filled with the Holy Spirit, that it'll be manifested in songs and hymns and melodies in your heart? I know people say, I'm not singing. Can I tell you why a lot of people don't sing? They don't have a song. Now, I sing like a hoot owl with a post-nasal drip. But if I'm sitting right there, I don't care who's listening. Now, I may throw Ashley and Donald off by singing the wrong words. But I'm going to sing. You know why? Because I can't help it. It's not because I have to. It's because I get to. Because there is something that wells up within your heart. A heart of gratitude through the grace of God. A heart of appreciation. A heart of understanding that God has set you free and delivered you. Do you not find it amazing that Habakkuk understood everything God was going to do, understood everything that was going to take place when God said he was going to do, understood the consequences of what God was going to do, and yet it says here, with my string instrument, and he sung. You say, what did he sing? That's what we looked at from verses 3 through verse 15. He sung. 
How do you know if I'm walking in the joy of the Lord? You'll be able to sing. No matter what's going on in your life. Well, my, my, what a God we serve. So here's the invitation. It's real simple. You may be going through something that I have no idea what it is. But I just want to ask you a question. Can you honestly, through the life of the Lord Jesus, can you honestly say what Habakkuk said? That I can leap for joy. I can sing. I can be glad in the Lord my God. If you can't, I want you to do me a favor. Right where you're seated, would you just ask God one question? God, why? Why can't I? He may show you you don't have a song. You're lost. Or he may show you that there's something in your life you've grieved and quenched the Holy Spirit of God. And God needs to root out of you. That the song that God put in you could come out of you. Not when everything's going good. We ought to sing then too, amen? But when you don't see a way out, I can sing. Father, you're more than sufficient. You're more than able. Father, thank you today that for every child of yours, we have the joy of the Lord. We don't have to ask for it. We don't have to search for it. We don't have to strive for it. We have the joy of the Lord. And Father, I thank you today that every battle that we encounter is not our battle, but your battle. And Father, by faith, we just get to cooperate with you in what you're going to do. Because Father, we're not working towards victory, we work from victory. We're already victorious. We're already more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. But Father, we're just going to be honest. There's things that arise in our life, things that may be said or things that may be done. And we're so quick to lose our joy. Maybe tonight, you're making yourself known that you're a mighty God. You're solely sufficient for every need. And there's nothing that we could ever encounter that you're not more than adequate to provide and to take care of. And we can walk in the stability of the life of your son. And we can walk in swiftness by faith in the midst of the arrows that the world is throwing at us. And Father, I've read the end of the book, we win. Victory is not a possibility. Victory is an absolute. We win.
But Father, in our victory, are we enjoying the joy of the Lord that was placed in us. And I'll thank you and I'll praise you for what you do in us. Father, lift our eyes up. Let us see you. And when we see you, we'll see ourselves. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said,